Our reading this morning is from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. <clears throat> and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Good morning, church. How are we today? A lot of smiling faces out there. Listen, if we hadn't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Carrie Jester, and I serve as one of the deacons here at the Mountain Church, and I also have the privilege of bringing God's word to you today. Pastor Daniel and Stephanie had some time off this week. They were able to recharge their battery, some rest. I don't think they had the weather they were hoping for, but some time to get away, and Daniel could take off this week from preaching, which means you guys are stuck with me. If you recall, thank you for the support. If you recall, last time I preached, Daniel entrusted me with 50-some-odd verses. If you notice today, he's entrusted me with seven verses. I'll let you read into that what you will. Got some friends and coworkers here. Thank you guys for coming and supporting me in this way. It does mean a lot to me, and I guess I'm glad the rest of you are here as well. <laughs> Today's passage, the overall theme is going to be structure. We have here in Acts, the infancy of the church is, put, is starting together, and God's going to install some structure here. And I don't know about you, but I love structure. I love rules. I love to know those boxes that I can check off to make sure I'm doing something right. On an off day, um, I will have a list on my phone of things that I need to get done, tasks and errands, and there is no greater joy than when I'm done with an errand to put an X in front of something on that list. It is checked. And there have been times when I don't have something on that list and I complete a task, I'll put it to the list just so I can put an X in front of it. I see some heads on back there. Thank you. Thank you. I'm also married to uh, a lady that likes structure. I say it's her German and her coming out. Sometimes it's the structure that she puts in, other people's structure she doesn't like. <laughs> One time she had gone and visited a friend in a new neighborhood, and she came back and she was telling us about it, how great this neighborhood was, and she turned to my dad and said, as you look down the streets, all the trees were in a row. So if that's not structure and loving structure, I don't know what is, but John MacArthur says it's never an end in itself structure, but it's always a means to an end. So let's go ahead and dive in. Let's unpack a little bit of what uh, we have here in Acts chapter 6. Starting there in verse 1, it says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. Let's uh, take back, let's turn back and look at a couple other verses to see what exactly they're talking about here when it says in these days. 
the disciples were increasing in number. Acts 2.41 says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. A couple of chapters over in Acts 4.4, 4, it says, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So in just those two verses alone, we saw that 8,000 people had come to saving faith and knowledge in the Lord. This thing was blowing up. I mean, it is going like crazy. People are jumping on this left and right. If it wasn't so sacrilegious, I would compare it to TikTok and the latest trend, but we're going to move on from that. <laughs> Continuing on, it says, A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. That word there, a complaint in Greek, it's gongusmas. It's a fun word to say. It rolls right off the tongue. You can say it with me if you'd like, gongusmas. And it has an implication of grumbling or uh, murmuring going on with it. So it wasn't just a complaint, but it was a way that it was being brought. And it says it was brought by the Hellenists. And if you're like me, you're probably wondering who's Helen and why is she calling all these problems. But uh, if your Bible's like mine, it says a subscript. Uh, the Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. They were Greek-speaking Jews. You see, at that time in Jerusalem, the Jews that were there and from that area, they would have been Hebrew Jews. They would have been Aramaic-speaking Jews. And the Hellenists were a smaller subsect. And they didn't necessarily have to be from Greece. Greek was the common language, the common vernacular at that time, so they could have come from any other uh, number of areas. And you see, earlier in Acts, they just had uh, Passover, and people were all coming for that. And as it brought people there, these people stayed. They heard the word of God being preached from the apostles, and they were saved, and they were left over. They had hung around. So it was that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. That's what the complaint was. But I also think it points to a deeper problem that the enemy's trying to attack here. As we said, the disciples were growing and this thing is taking off, and as God's word is being accomplished and his will is being accomplished, the enemy wants to thwart that. He wants to go in and stop it. We saw earlier in, in Acts, he tried first with a, 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 a persecution. They had beat the apostles, they arrested them, they had thrown them in jail, and they told them not to speak of it anymore. I appreciated that in Peter's sermon. He said that they didn't argue with them, they didn't point out what was wrong, they said, just stop talking about it. But we saw in last week's passage, when Daniel preached on 5, uh, verse 40 and 41, it says that when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So it didn't seem like this was stopping them. They were rejoicing it, and it almost emboldened them to speak it even more. We saw earlier in verse 5 that... Uh, Sin and corruption was brought into the church with Ananias and Sapphira. We saw how that was dealt with. And I think here the enemy is trying to attack the unity within the church. He's trying to disrupt the unity that's there. You see, with uh, persecution, it oftentimes purifies the church. It also has a common um, foe for the church to form together and to look out against but with this disunity or attacking the unity, it causes a church focus to, to turn on itself. And it can completely sap the energy right out of a church as it's focusing on that. And I think that's the deeper problem that they're dealing with here. And it is conjecture on my behalf. I know that. But continuing on, it says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples 
and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Excuse me a second here. Get a little dry mouth. So we see here, we see here the apostles approach and what they take in dealing with this. And before we unpack that, I would like to focus on some things what the apostles didn't say or things that they didn't do. They didn't say, okay, you guys are getting on my nerves. You're complaining. We're trying to do this good thing, and that's it. We're going to stop. No more meals on wheels. The old ladies are going to have to find their own meals someplace else. They didn't say that. They also didn't say, we're going to quit preaching the word of God. Too many people are getting saved. Too many people are coming here. We liked it when it was smaller. It was easier to control. We're going to stop preaching the word of God. They didn't say that either. But what they did say reveals what was important. They said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And what they said was, we want you, the congregation, to choose seven men. And I think that's interesting, and it's a good way to deal with issues in the church or grumblings. Instead of it being the church's problem or the apostles' problem, they said, it's our problem. It's the church's problem. And we want you to come up with a solution for it. And they, they gave guidelines. They said they want you to pick out men that were of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint to this duty. But they said, we want you to be involved in this. This is very similar to um, Moses and his father-in-law Jethro back in Exodus 18, where Jethro had come and visited Moses, and he saw that he was spending all day sitting before the people and hearing uh, the problems that they had and what was going on, and Moses was settling their disputes, and his father-in-law said, you can't do this. You can't spend all day sitting before the people doing this. He said, choose men to help you with it. Choose men that, uh, that, can, that can do And he uh, also gave parameters of what these men uh, should be. And it's also interesting at that time as well that the people were grumbling. So it seems like grumbling is not a new sin that we have. It's something that's easy for all of us to do, whether it was in Jesus' time or Moses' time. But the apostles here said it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It wasn't their job to serve tables. Their job was to feed the flock. If you look there in verse 4, it says, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry. That word in Greek for ministry is diakonia, or serving of the word. What they were called to do by God was to serve the word to the people that were there, not to serve tables. That word diakonia is used at the end of verse 1 in the daily distribution, the daily serving, or diakonia. And then also there at the end of verse 2, when it says the word of God to serve tables to diakonia of the tables. So the apostles' calling was not to serve tables, it was to preach and teach the word of God. And they weren't diminishing the serving of the, of the widows. They knew their Bibles too well for that. It says in Deuteronomy 10.18 that God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. And there's other passages like that. So they weren't diminishing what that call was, but they said, we are not to be the ones in charge of it anymore. They said what they were called to do was to preach the word of God. Because it is through the preaching of the word of God that souls are brought to salvation in Christ. And they knew that that's what the important part was. Romans 10, 14 says, unless the gospel is preached, it cannot be heard. And if it's not heard, it can't be believed. Skip down a couple more verses to Romans 10, 17. It says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
So the gospel is an announcement of what Jesus Christ has done in order for us to come before the Father. It is a proclamation. It is to be heralded. God is a speaking God. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Daniel, in the first sermon on Acts, had pointed out a uh, quote by St. Francis of Assisi that says, Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. And said the fallacy in that, how wrong that is. You see, the problem is we can't get the evidences of the gospel, the results of the gospel, the good deeds of the gospel, confused with the gospel. The results of the gospel are not the same as the gospel, and we cannot confuse that. We can't confuse the announcement of what Christ has done on the cross in his life, death, and resurrection for what the fruits and the examples of the outpouring of the gospel is. John Calvin says, God places no higher value on anything than the preaching of the gospel. The Lord wants his gospel to be proclaimed with such diligence that nothing can hinder its course. For the only way men come to salvation is through the instruction of what the gospel teaches. So the apostles here are saying that that's what their calling was to do. Let's continue on, verse 5, and it says, And what they says pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. See how that verse started there? It said, And what they said pleased the whole gathering. It doesn't seem like this gathering was allowing disunity to take uh, roots here. It takes people full of the Spirit. It takes people in prayer. It takes people sitting under godly preaching and teaching, I think, to have a response like this. It said it pleased the whole gathering. If that's not a sign of unity, I don't know what is. Something else I thought was fascinating, and it's lost in our day and age, is all seven of those names that were mentioned, those are all Greek names. Do you remember earlier I said it was a Hellenist that had brought the complaint forward? They were the uh, minority group, and it was put before the congregation to give these seven names. Well, the, the Hebrew Jews there could have easily put forth seven names of their own boys to make sure that their old ladies were taken care of, or widows, I should call them widows, not old ladies, <laughs> to make sure that they're taken care of. But that's not what they did. They chose seven names that were Greek, which leads you to believe they were in the, in the minority. If that's also not a picture of unity, I don't know what is. And it said that those seven men, what did it say back up there in, was it verse 3? They should be of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Can you imagine how that character was showing in their lives to where the majority group felt comfortable choosing these seven men to carry it out? If that is not the evidences of the gospel, the fruit of the gospel being shown in these men's lives to where they felt comfortable choosing them to carry out this uh, this, 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 this calling here. Moving along, verse 6 says, they, uh, These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And some of the commentaries I read, there was some, um, uh, some discussion or there was some disagreement on whether or not this is talking about uh, an ordination service or just a commissioning, and it doesn't really affect the overall part of this passage. In Texas, I was part of an ordination service when I was ordained as a deacon, and it was a very special time. The deacons, one by one, came up and laid their hands on me and said a prayer over me with Stephanie at my side. 
any other ordained ministers also took part. My dad and my uncle also prayed over us. It was a, a very special time, and it, it's been very special to me looking back on it. There's others that say that that's just a human thing. It's a human um, right that we've put together. I think it was C.H. Spurgeon that said, it's nothing more than laying of dirty hands on dirty heads, <laughs> which I think is another apt way to put it, because I definitely have a dirty head, and I've got dirty hands. So, Continuing on, let's finish up this last verse. It says, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Do you see that? It says the word of God continued to increase. It continued to increase because the apostles didn't get distracted with something that they weren't called to do, and they stayed faithful to what they were called to do. And God blessed it, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So that's what we have today, our seven verses. Um, before we move on to some, per- some applications maybe we can take from this, uh, look back with me at Acts 1.8. This is Christ saying, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That first part there in Jerusalem is being taken care of. People were coming to saving faith in Christ left and right. And we're about to see it in the next couple chapters, but the persecution is going to ramp up and people are going to be martyred for their faith. And it's going to cause those people, those large numbers to spread out to, what are the other areas there? To Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So what the devil is trying to do and stop the word is actually the Lord using it to help spread the word. And right before all these people are spread out and pushed out, the Lord has installed some structure into his church here. He's installed what's important for the pastors to uh, protect the preaching and teaching of the word of God, and he set up others then to do the other serving. So as these people are spread out into other areas, they're taking with them the structure that the Lord has placed in his, in his church. God is a God of structure. God is a God of order. I appreciated um, Alistair Begg's summary of these seven verses. He says, you have growth and you have grumbling. The people were multiplying. Then you had the gongusmas, the grumbling that was going on. Next, you had declaration and delegation. The declaration of it's not right that we should give up preaching to serve tables. And the delegation of choose out from among you seven men. Next was preaching and prayer there in verse 4. They were to devote themselves to preaching and prayer. And last, it's multiplication and transformation. God blessed it and people's lives were changed. So the rest of the time this morning, I'd like for us to look at maybe some takeaways that we can, we can take from this passage. And uh, if you're a visitor here this morning, this probably doesn't pertain as much to you. Um, not that you can't take something from it, but this is more for the regular attenders and the members of the Mountain Church. But as you're a visitor, I'm hoping you're eventually going to become a regular attender and member of the Mountain Church, so maybe it is for you, so kind of pay attention. <laughs> <clears throat> But if you're a regular uh, attender or member here at the Mountain Church, I want you to look around you right now. There's not a whole lot of empty seats, is there? And we've got a lot of people out sick today. And I believe it was a little more than a year ago we moved back into this building to start meeting here. And at that time, uh, there was a wall here. We couldn't even see that window. And there was mold in that room. And there was a leak in that room. And the coffee area was set up at the back of the church, right? 
And it was fine. We didn't need those seats back there. We were coming nowhere near filling up this building. But then fortunately, our friends from Louisiana came and they helped us remodel this room and get most of the leaks fixed and get all the mold taken care of. And we found this beautiful window was there behind the walls and we opened it all up. And we were able to move that coffee area into here because we were needing those seats back there. We were getting to a point where we didn't have enough seats in here. And granted, it's only like 14 seats, but it was definitely needed. Not long after that, the decision was made that the children who were starting out the service with us and then leaving after the the song, they should start out in the classes because, again, we were needing seats. Those beautiful little balls of energy were taking up seats that we could have used for the visitors coming in. And it seems Sunday after Sunday, there's more and more visitors that are coming through that door. And some of you guys were the visitors ever coming, and you've decided to stay and be a part And as God is bringing more and more people to us, I forget which theologian said it, but he said, more people, more problems. So as we we are growing, I think we need to be looking out for some of these issues that might arise, just like in the early church here, because the enemy is going to want to stop that. I think the enemy has already been at work in a lot of the familial units within our church. I think of the Pointkowskis and how they've had sickness after sickness after sickness come through there. I think about Peter and Caroline. Peter in two months has had COVID, sinus infection, a head cold. He's got a sciatic nerve issue that basically for the last two weeks kept him out of work. He's got a boiler that wasn't working, so no heat or no hot water in the house, which you know with young kids, they don't have a lot of clothes to wash or dishes to wash. On top of that, Caroline and the kids have dealt with sickness. They've also had a cancellation of Paisley surgery. So it's no surprise as Peter, one of the leaders in the church, that he's being attacked in his household. Peter's also planning our men's retreat from next weekend. And many of the rest of you, you have dealt with things as well. I think the enemy is attacking in that way. I also think the enemy is going to try to attack the unity in this, in this body. And I think just like here, it's an easy way for us to turn our focus on ourselves when we have problems in the church. And what I'm about to say is not a chastisement. It's not that anybody has done anything wrong, but it's a warning and a caution. That as problems arise, I want us first to ask ourselves, is it a problem or is it a preference? Is it a problem or is it a preference? You see, the church has become very consumeristic, and we like to think that the church is there to meet our needs when that's not really the way it should be. So as problems arise, ask yourself, is it a problem, is it a preference? And some things actually are problems, like what we saw in today's passage, something needed to be corrected about this. But as we bring it forth to church leadership, I want us to be very aware of how we're presenting it. Are we doing it with the gongusmas? Is it the complaining? Is it the grumbling? or we bring it to them in love. And then on top of that, whatever the issue may be, let's don't be surprised if leadership involves all of us and the solution. That it's not the church's problem, it's not leadership's problem, it is our problem altogether. And again, I don't say that as a chastisement. I love the unity in this body. We see it time and time again. We see others loving on one another and checking on one another and serving one another. So this is more an encouragement that we keep on continuing to do that. As we continue to grow, uh, the apostles knew what their calling was and what their giftings were. And I think as we continue to grow, there's a lot of opportunities for us to serve. So I think we need to be asking ourselves also, what is our calling and what is our giftings? How can we 
fulfill what needs to take place here within our church. If you think just on a Sunday morning alone, we have uh, greeters that are outside here that greet people that are coming in, and they're not the only ones. If you're a visitor, you know once you come in this door, people are asking you who you are, where you came from, how many kids you got, what's your bank account, what's your PIN number. (laughs) We are getting down to the nitty-gritty wanting to get to know you. And once you come in through those doors, we have uh, breakfast treats that volunteers have agreed to make. We have another volunteer that's making coffee in there. Then we come inside this door and we have a whole slew of musicians that are sharing their gifts of what the God has blessed them with every Sunday morning with us. On top of that, we got Chris, wave back there, Chris. He's in the sound booth tweaking and turning stuff back there to make sure that my voice sounds, you know, hopefully better than what it is. He's also controlling the camera so that this is going out on our YouTube feed for those that are sick and at home. On top of that, we have a whole slew of army that is with kids downstairs, upstairs, and in that middle level back there, dealing with our beautiful, wonderful balls of joy that we have here at our church. So as you're coming in here, and if you're not serving, ask yourself, where can I get plugged in at? And it's interesting, there's some things within our church, like the the coffee or the treats, you think, how does that actually help spread the gospel? And I want to point out one person, and they're not here this morning. She may have known that I was going to point them out. But uh, Shelly Pearson volunteers to make coffee, and I believe it's once a month is what the rotation is. And do you know the interesting thing about Shelly making coffee? Shelly doesn't like coffee. (laughs) Shelly does not drink coffee at all. But do you know who does like coffee? I better see some other hands out there, (laughs) because you people are some coffee-drinking fools. We go through a lot of coffee... On, on Sunday mornings. And Shelly does that because what her gifting is is hospitality, and she's sharing her hospitality with the rest of us because she, she loves us. And again, I say, well, how does that actually point to the, the, the uh, gospel? Well, since we started having coffee and treats, people have been coming earlier to church. And as they come to earlier to church, they're congregating in there, and people are talking about their weeks. They're talking about their praises. They're talking about their prayer requests. There's unity that's being formed within this body. I've seen laughter in that room. I've seen tears in that room. I've seen people prayed over. I've seen people hugged. And that's building up the unity within this body. On top of that, there's not opportunities just within here on Sunday, but we also have other opportunities to serve outside of here. We partner with Lighthouse Ministries, and Sarah's not here today, but she's the one that runs it. And I'm going to keep looking back there because her family's back there. But it is an organization that is helping families escape domestic violence and to break that cycle of violence. And Caroline Jovanovich, um, once a quarter, organizes, and I don't know the details of what all this looks like, but we have agreed to provide one meal a week to the family there at Lighthouse, and it's done in freezer meals. And I don't know how Caroline organizes, but I know as meals are made, they are frozen at some point, and then they are put into a freezer at Lighthouse. And once a week, they have a house meeting there, and that's when that, that meal is used. And this is an important part of what they have going on there at Lighthouse, and it's a night that they don't have to worry about making a meal. They can focus on their house meeting and what's going on. On top of that, we have a group of, I was going to say guys, not just guys, there's also ladies involved, that go once a month, and we take care of the mowing, the weed eating, the edging, the trimming of bushes, the trimming of trees. We put up Christmas lights. We take down Christmas lights. The wonderful workers of Lighthouse have even said, hey, we've got this kitchen island from Ikea. Do you guys think you can put it together for us? 
I've been asked before, uh, hey, we've got a drawer that's sticking. Do you think you can come in and see if you can fix it for us? They've even said, we have a dryer that's not working right, and we don't have the money to pay for a new one. Do you know somebody that could take a look at it? And would you know that in all our serving, whether it's the frozen meals or whether it's going in person to serving, probably more than 95% of the time, we have zero contact with the families there. We go in, we do it, and we leave. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, Carrie, isn't that what you are talking about earlier about getting the results of the gospel, the fruits of the gospel, confused with the gospel? Well, thank you for thinking that and bringing it up. That's where I'm going next. Do you know who does have that opportunity to share the gospel with those families? Sarah Tuttle does, and the other wonderful workers there at Lighthouse. Sarah has shared with us as a group before, and she's also, I had a conversation with her recently. She said it's uncanny. It's almost within two months of a new family being there that they say, who are these people, and why are they doing this? Where do these meals come from? And do you know what happens then? I said I wasn't going to get emotional today. <laughs> Sarah and the workers share the gospel with those ladies. Sarah and those workers share about the love of Christ and the changes it can make in a person's life and the outpouring of that, the way that we're showing it to them and the difference that it can make. And while I think it's extremely important to have families not living in violence that have a roof over their, house, their head and they don't live in fear, I can't stress enough how important that is. Do you know what is even more important than that? An eternity with the Father. An eternity with the Father. I'm reading uh, the explicit gospel with a couple friends here in church. In our last meeting, this quote stood out to me. The reconciling gospel is always at the forefront of the church's social action. Because a full belly is not better than a reconciled soul. One is temporary. One is eternal. A full belly is not better than a reconciled soul. One is temporary. One is eternal. A much more crass way of saying that I've heard is that a soup kitchen without a gospel message is sending people to hell on a full stomach instead of an empty stomach. So as we continue to grow and as we continue to have opportunities to serve, I want us to be protecting the time of our leaders and Daniel as he's up here preaching to make sure we're fulfilling all the other service opportunities because it is Daniel's calling to share the message, the gospel, every Sunday morning from up here. But it's also the rest of our calling during the week to be sharing the gospel with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our friends, with our families. And oftentimes it's that results of the gospel, it's the fruit of the gospel that opens up those doors. Oftentimes it's us loving on them. Oftentimes people say, or the adage is, I don't care what you know until I know that you care. It's that serving and loving on them that opens up for us to share who Christ is. But let's make sure that we're not forgetting to do that. Lord, we thank you for this time to come together this morning. We thank you for the fullness of your word and how it leads us and how it directs us. We thank you for the reminders of what we need to look out for in our ministry and in our churches, the reminder of unity within the body and how important that is. I thank you for the love that you have placed within this body and how we see it time and time again. We see it when people are sick and families are hurting, that others are reaching out. Others are saying, how can I help you? How can I be praying for you? How can I, how can I serve you? Can I bring you a meal? 
Lord, I pray that you would protect that as we continue to grow, keep the enemy at bay. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless Daniel as he preaches the gospel to us every Sunday morning. Lord, I pray that you would remind the rest of us in our weeks that it's not just Daniel's job, but it's also our job and our calling as well to share the gospel with those around us. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for this time together. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.